All right, let's get our Bibles out and open to John chapter 11. Uh, you can grab that hardback Bible in the pew in front of you and turn to page 1236. You'll find the Gospel of John chapter 11. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture to most of us in the room. If you have spent any time around church, then you've no doubt come across John 11. But what I'd like us to do this morning is ask God to help us take some fresh eyes and look at this familiar passage and to feel the weight and the drama that unfolds here and to see the application that God might make to our lives today through the teaching of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So let's pray together and ask God to help us as we study. Father, as we come before your word, Lord, we confess now that the only perfect things in this room are your spirit and your word. And Lord, we pray now that you will help us. Give us the grace to not be distracted, but to focus and hear from you, Lord. Give us the wisdom to know that you know and understand things that we don't. And Lord, give us the knowledge that you love us and that you want to speak to us this morning. And so, Lord, we need ears to hear and hearts that are willing to receive that your perfect word might do its perfect work in our lives and that it will yield your glory. We thank you in advance for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you don't have to be alive very long to have come to a place in your life where you ask the question, God, where are you? Maybe it was some situation you were facing, some circumstance you found yourself in, and it just appeared that God wasn't there. He was either inattentive and wasn't paying attention, or he was uncooperative and wasn't interested in getting involved in your situation or maybe it just seemed like he was too late it just seemed like maybe by the time he showed up it was it was all over and that he missed an opportunity and you know we all find ourselves in those situations God why don't you do something about blank you fill in the blank God, why don't, you, why don't you do something about the, the pain and the suffering that's around us? God, why don't you do something about the, the pain and the suffering that I've been through? God, why don't, you, why don't you do something about the things that are going on uh, in my life or around me or at my job or whatever the case may be? Lord, where are you? And why don't you help? And here's the problem. The problem is that when you're going through a... A season like that, and you're, you're asking those questions, the problem is other people. That's really the problem. Because what happens is, inevitably, here you are, you know, wilting inside, hoping that God will intervene in your circumstances or your situation. And then you're going to bump into people who have no idea what you're going through, and they're going to come up to you, you know, so excited and say, oh, let let me tell you a story. I 
you know, what God did in my life the other day. And, you know, I was going to the mall and I was just praying, Lord, I'm, I'm in a hurry and I'm running late. Please, would you make a way that I could get a good parking place? And, and God did that. And it was so amazing. And here you are dying inside and they're talking about how God gave them a good parking place or how, you know, God, you know, brought their lost pet home or whatever the case may be. And, and you're thinking, well, that's great. I mean, I'm glad you're excited about that, but I'm, I'm hanging by a thread here. I mean, I, I'm, I'm begging God to help me with big things. And God, what? Well, you're helping people with all these silly, ridiculous things. Meanwhile, I'm just left out here to dry. And I know I'm not the only person in the room that's felt this way. And so here, here's my, my goal for us this morning. Just up front, I want you to know where we're going. I, I want us to be able to leave here this morning, and I want us to have an understanding of God such that we could go through difficult Things We could go through times of suffering. We could go through times in the wilderness. And our faith would remain strong. And that, that's easy to say when you're not in that place. But when you're in that place, it's, it's difficult. And in John chapter 11, what Jesus does is he, we, we have this story recorded for us in Scripture, and everybody knows this story, but I don't, think a, I don't think everybody understands what the story is about and what Jesus is trying to accomplish in this story. And really what Jesus wants to do this morning is He wants to address this very situation about our faith and our suffering and how those two things interact with each other. So let's look together at John chapter 11. John 11, beginning in verse 1. Now. Now, whenever, the, whenever a chapter starts with now, it's, it's like something changed. So the last verse of chapter 10 was saying that Jesus and his disciples fled away from Jerusalem because the Jews sought to kill him. And so they left and went east of the Jordan, and they've been out there doing ministry, and many people have believed in him. And now... This happens. So that's been happening, and now this happens. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, what we have here is this, this intersection between something's going on with Jesus and his disciples, and they're over here doing one thing, and then word comes that Lazarus, a man whom Jesus loves, is sick. Now, it appears to be very unfortunate timing, because Jesus had just came through Bethany on his way out of Jerusalem to go east. He just passed through here. He was just there. And why couldn't Lazarus have been sick then? And then Jesus would have been there and he would have just taken care of it. 
But now he's a day and a half away. And so he gets word. Mary and Martha have sent people to go and tell Jordan, uh, go and tell Jesus that, hey, I know you're far away, but Lazarus is sick and we need you. And so I'm sure that Lazarus' family had questions. You know, why isn't he here? Why didn't this sickness come when he was here? Why couldn't it have been a few days earlier? I mean, apparently he's deathly ill, as the Bible will tell us. And sometimes, you know, we ask the same questions. Now, I want to encourage you this morning, but in order to encourage you, I'm, I, I have to be honest with you, okay? So now, what I'm about to say, don't let this spoil your Easter, but it's the truth. If you have your handouts, here's your first blanks on your listening guide. In a broken world, sickness and death are never far from the story. That's the truth. That's the truth about the world in which we live in. You see, you never know when now is going to come into your story. You never know when you're going along doing your thing and then now something happens. Now your, your husband gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Now there's been some unforeseen incident, some accident, some situation, some circumstance. Now you, the job that you felt secure in is gone. Now the child that you raise and love is gone and disconnected from you. You see, we never know when now is coming, but what we need to know is what we don't need to do is pretend as if it's not ever coming. To pretend as if we live in a world where everything's okay. We don't. It's a broken world. And the truth is sickness and death, and the list goes on, and suffering and disappointment are never far from the story. Verse 4, so when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now that sounds good. The only problem is, is that when we read this, we think, now, well, what on earth does this mean? You know, not too long ago, we preached through the book of John. And when we got to this text, I didn't preach this text. Pastor Matt did. Some of you remember that. It's been a while ago. But, and ever since he did, I've sort of been going, you know, God, I really wanted to preach that text. And God knew that I'd get to this morning. But you see, when I read verse 4, I think, well, that sounds great. Well, what does this mean? Well, what do you mean it's the sickness isn't unto death? Okay, well, do something. Well, here's what we do know. We do know, look at what verse 5 says. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, you just have to remember that this isn't just some normal family. And why is John telling us the relationship that Jesus has with these people? Well, for a number of reasons, but notice that it doesn't say that Lazarus loved Jesus or Mary and Martha loved Jesus. It doesn't mean they didn't. It just means that what's emphasized here is the fact that Jesus loves them. That's what's important to see. That's what the Bible wants us to see. So why is John telling us this? Well... Because what's about to happen is going to seem as if Jesus doesn't love them. 
And so we need to know that he does before we read on, because if we read on, it's going to go bad really quickly. I mean, obviously, when someone you love is sick, what would you expect someone to do but to drop everything and to run to them and to do whatever you could? And if you're Jesus, you don't even have to do that because back in chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, Jesus healed a nobleman's son, and he didn't even go to where his son was. The father ran to Jesus, remember the story, and he asked Jesus for help, and Jesus said, okay, go your way. And as the man went, his son was, he got word that his son was well. So we know Jesus doesn't even have to be in proximity to heal. Now, it would make perfect sense if Jesus would just do that, wouldn't it? That's what would make perfect sense. And certainly not go all the way back because you're a day and a half away. I mean, certainly he could die in a day and a half. Plus, if you go a day and a half back to Bethany, you're going right back to where you know people are trying to kill you. So the only sensible thing to do would just be to snap your fingers or shake your hand around or just say a word and then, boom, Lazarus would be well. But you see, what becomes so apparent here is that this story is not about what makes sense to us. Jesus instead stays right where he is. Look at verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Well, that's just great. I will encourage you. So you know the disciples are thinking, hmm, they're confused by this. Everyone's confused by this. We're confused by this. You have to remember, just because you've heard this story, you have to remember that, that as the disciples are living through this, as Mary and Martha and Lazarus are, as the first people that are reading what John's written down, they didn't know what was happening, and so they're trying to sort this out. Verse 7 says, And after this he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, well, Rabbi, lately the Jews, I mean, in case you have forgotten, they sought to stone you. And are you going there again? See, because here's the problem. We're kind of with you, and they want to stone you. And if you go there and we're there, there's a real good chance some of those stones are going to miss you and hit us. And we don't want that. And so, and they know, they remember that Jesus doesn't have to be there to heal. They're saying, it's, it's not safe. This is a bad plan. Like this whole thing is bad. You could have done it before. Then we wait around a couple days. So then we're thinking, well, maybe it's not that bad. Or maybe Jesus healed him and just didn't tell us. And then, so they've forgotten all about it. And about the time they've forgotten about it and just are going about their business, Jesus says, okay, now we're going to go. Huh? Go, what, go where? Go back to Bethany. Well, why? That's not safe. And so the disciples are, just like us, a little bit confused. And then Jesus adds to the confusion. Look at verse 9. Jesus answered and said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said. And after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Jesus, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but what has that got to do with anything? What does 12 hours of daylight 
have to do with Lazarus being sick. What do you mean that I go to wake him up? I mean, weren't you listening? They said that he was sick unto death. He was deathly ill. He's a day and a half away. We've waited around for two extra days. I mean, this, none of this makes any sense whatsoever. So his disciples say in verse 12, Lord, well, great. If he sleeps, well, amen. He'll wake up. He'll be fine. I'm sure this is going to be okay. Verse 13, however, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Well, because that's what you said. I mean, what is going on? What do you mean there's only 12 hours a day and that then the night comes and then when you're people trying to walk at night can't see and they stumble and well Jesus here is is teaching about opportunity. He's teaching the disciples about opportunity and he's teaching us about opportunity. He's teaching us that there's limited time. And there's only 12 hours of daylight. And so we need to get done the things that need to be done in the daylight because soon the night is coming. And of course, Jesus is on very slim time. He's not far from the cross. And so he has limited time. And he's telling them, I'm not going to be here much longer. And when I leave the earth, the light's going to go out. There's going to be a really dark day. But if you come with me to Bethany, if you trust me and you follow me back, then you'll, you'll learn something. You'll see something. And I'll give you a candle that you can carry with you that will guide you through the remainder of your life after I'm gone. He's telling him, I know this doesn't make sense right now. But there's something that I'm going to do that's beyond your imagination. And it's not only going to glorify my Father, but it's going to build your faith. Now, as all of this is going on, you've still got Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he's laying there sick. And they're trying to care for him. And they're fretting and struggling and wondering. And Here's what we need to know about this whole situation. Is that all of this information is, is hinging on the reality that Jesus loves Mary. And he loves Martha. And he loves Lazarus. And we need to know that. The fact that Jesus did not come had nothing to do with any lack of love for Mary or Martha or Lazarus. Now that's important. And the reason that's important is because God knew what would happen. He knew what we would do. He knew what people throughout all of history would do. People would somehow convince themselves that when they're going through a difficult situation and God doesn't show up on time or doesn't intervene on time or doesn't do the things that they want him to do, that the reason that he's doing that is that maybe that he doesn't love us. Or 
maybe that we're not lovable enough for him. So either way, either we're going to believe that it's, we're suffering because we don't have enough love for him or we're suffering because we're not worthy enough to be loved by him. And either way, it's a disaster. See, the confidence that we need in a crisis can only come from one place, and that's the gospel. And we have to understand that the gospel says that God's love for me and God's love for you is not predicated on what we do. We don't earn his love. We don't, we don't behave our way into his good graces. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that what it says in Romans chapter 5? Yes, and so this story is Jesus going to these elaborate lengths to teach us what to do, how to think, how to understand what's going on when we're suffering and we don't, we don't know where God is or what He's doing so that we don't convince ourselves that we're unlovable or that we don't love Him enough. So then Jesus explains to them, look at verse 14, Jesus said to them plainly, well, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And then he says one of the most shocking things you'll ever read in the Bible. He's dead, and Jesus says, and I am glad for your sakes. Do you see how far Jesus is going here to teach this? I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Yes, I know it's dangerous. I know it's scary. I know you don't understand. But the only way you're going to learn this is if you come with me. You're going to have to follow me back. Because there's no other way to learn this. You clearly haven't learned it yet. I mean, what could be so important? What could be so important, Lord, that you would let someone you love die just so that you could teach us something. It's so important to Jesus that we believe in him, that we have faith in him, not just, not just that we say we have faith in him, but that we have faith in him such that we can live in that faith in this broken world. It's so important to him that we can have that, that we know that, that we believe in such a way that he would allow his friend to die. So now, after that statement, I mean, what are you going to say? You, okay, we're going to have to go. And so, of course, you know, Thomas, he's going to speak up, and Thomas is... You ever watch Winnie the Pooh? You know Eeyore? That's Thomas. You know, Eeyore, he, he always says he's not much of a donkey. He's my favorite character. and Well, I like Tigger too, but Eeyore cracks me up. You know, and he, he's a donkey, but he doesn't have a tail. And so his tail is like pinned on him, which I'm assuming is where we got pinned the tail on the donkey. I'm assuming that's where that came from. And so he loses his tail, 
And they find his tail and they bring it to him. And they're so happy. They're like, look, we found your tail. And he goes, oh, well, I'll probably lose it again tomorrow. And I just got cracked up thinking about Eeyore. And I remember that he had a famous saying. Do you remember what it was? His most famous saying. He, Eeyore says, it's the end of the road. Nothing to do. No hope of things getting better. Sounds like my house on a Saturday night. That's what he said. Man, he was a downer. So Thomas, Eeyore, that just means Eeyore in the Greek. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, can't you hear Eeyore? Well, let us go also that we may die with him. Well, thanks for that. Like, you know, I'm so glad you pointed that out. Well, Thomas is like, well, we're going to die. Let's get our, all our affairs in order. So verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. So now we learn that Lazarus had died a while back, that Jesus knew this all along. Now the disciples are starting to put all this together. But don't you know what's been going on all this time back at Lazarus' house? See, some of you in here, you know what's been going on. You, you know what Mary and Martha were doing. They were sitting there by his bedside and they were, you know, putting a, a cool compress on his head and they were wiping the sweat off of him and they were just trying to encourage him and they were trying to tell him, you know, just, just hold on. Just hold on, sweetie, just another day. We, 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 we sent word to Jesus. He knows. Just try to hang on. Just try to hang on. It's going to be okay. He's going to come. I promise he's going to come. He's going to... And then he didn't come. And so these sisters, they, they've been through it. Verse 21 says, now Martha says to Jesus, and you can sort of hear the frustration in her voice, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, that's one of those sayings that it sounds spiritual, doesn't it? I mean, it, it sounds spiritual, but it's empty. Because what she's saying is, well, you weren't here and now my brother's dead. And so, yay. I mean, you're God and you can do great things, but, but he's dead. The illness overtook him. And this is a, a time where there's no morphine. There's no painkillers. There's, no, there's nothing to ease the suffering. She's hurting. And she's not only grieving because she's lost her brother, but she's also lost her means of support. See, no doubt... 
Lazarus was the one who was supporting the family. And so she has lost that and now she's left with this void in her life and the potential of poverty and need that faces her. And she's the older sister, so she feels the weight now of having to, you know, care for Mary because she's the one responsible. And how is a woman in this culture going to do that? How is she going to make a way? I mean, there's so much uncertainty mixed into the, the pain. I mean, just think of all the emotions that are going crazy in her life. The grief and the anger and the worry, the fear. All of that just converging on her simultaneously. You know... You know what it feels like when you lose somebody that you love? And so, so sort of there's no, it's, it's done. There's no going back. And so you might be able to say, well, you know, I, I still have faith in God, but you're hurting. And, and I think Martha does what anybody in that situation would do. That's what I do. We, we start grasping for some sort of resolution, don't we? We try to, we know nothing can undo our pain, but we try to grasp for some, some understanding of something, some resolution, because at least if we can know something, it, it somehow makes us feel better. And so that's why she says to Jesus, if you had been here, which you weren't, my brother wouldn't have died, which he did. See, we, we get in a, a situation like that, and when we're suffering, we, we tell God how the story ought to go, don't we? We say, God, will you... Will you, will you heal my loved one? Will you do this? Will you, will you answer my prayer? Will you fix it? If you just, if you just simply be on time, you, can, you could end this. And, and, and you know I don't want this to be. And you know this situation. And if you just paid more attention. If you had just heard me when I prayed all those times I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and God well why couldn't you just answer that prayer I think about the times in my life when I've been in the valley of disillusionment when I've been where Martha is when I feel like God's a million miles away and what I do is I think what we most all of us do. We claw for, we, we, we start clawing and, and scratching for some understanding. Anything that would just help me make sense of all this. But even though we know that nothing's going to change it because it's already done, we're We're planning the funeral or we're, we're signing the divorce papers or we're filing bankruptcy or whatever the case may be. 
And we try to square things and reconcile our faith with life's harsh realities. And it's hard. So isn't it true that when we're in these situations, when we suffer, our conversations with God change. They, they tend to be less with Him and more at Him. You see, when we're hurting, we, we speak at God. Do you hear Martha's voice? She's speaking at God. She's saying, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would be alive. See, some of you have come in here this morning and the greatest hurt in your life is something just like this. You know, God, if you'd, have, if you'd have intervened, if you wouldn't have let this happen, if you could have just stopped with just changed one little detail, just made something a few minutes earlier, a few minutes later, then, then that person would still be here. This thing wouldn't have happened. And, and that's, that's oftentimes... What keeps us separated from God is we can't reconcile how this happened. And so we, we start speaking at God. And, you know, Martha, she's not blind to the hardships of, of life. I mean, she's not living in some fantasy land where everything is you know supposedly always going to be okay and I know there's a lot of people in this country today that live that way but that's not her she's not doing that no she understands that that death is inevitable just like all of us do but but what's the problem the problem is this death is premature like why well, why would, why, would your, why, why would you allow your friend, why would you allow someone you'd love to die early? Like we weren't done. It wasn't time. I mean, couldn't it have just been, you know, just another year or two years or just a little bit more time? And these two ladies, these sisters, it's too late. Their brother's gone. It's, it's now it's time to figure out how to move on. It's like Debbie said in the video, how to get up the next morning. How to keep going. And you see, what makes this especially hard is, is that they had a relationship with Jesus. Haven't you said, Lord, I mean, there's all these people in the world, terrible people, and this hasn't happened to them. And, you know, I get up and I, I come to church and I like I try, you know, like I, I try to read my Bible. I, I pray. I mean, I'm I'm giving an effort. I mean, you know, something. And, you know, I go to work and there's people who, who just blaspheme your name and could care less and, and don't even, you know, live their life as if you don't even exist. And, and their children are healthy or their children are home or their marriage survives or they don't have this diagnosis or they're not going through this situation. And it just doesn't seem right. I mean, these are people who 
who know Jesus, they have a relationship with him. He loves them. And so here we are, we're, we're people who, who love Jesus. So when life doesn't go as we plan, when things don't conform to the way we think they ought to go, when God doesn't pay attention to our schedule, what happens is this, this entitlement kicks in. And we start saying, God... Look, I mean, look, I've done this and I do this and you, like you owe me. Like you should have done this. You should have been there. We start reminding him of the past as if he doesn't know. We start recounting things and saying, remember when I could have done this, but I didn't, I did that. And, and we're talking at God, not with him. So Martha's, see, Martha's struggle is not with God's ability to do it. Martha's struggle is the fact that God didn't do it. See, that's my struggle. That's most of our struggle. Is that we, we, we think, God, I know you could do it, but you didn't. It would be easier if you just couldn't. But it makes it worse that you can and you didn't. And so what does the living incarnate God say in these situations? How does he respond to this grieving sister who's trying to resolve the reality that she's in and, and somehow reconcile it and keep her, her faith? Well, what does God say to us in the moment of disappointment? Or maybe the more relevant question today is, well, what does God say to you? What, what does He say to you? And I know that there's a contingency of us in here this morning, and, and you're thinking, He doesn't say anything. That's what I'm waiting for you to help me with, because that's what I need to know, is what does He say? And you see what happens is the, the, the pain of our past, these things go unresolved. We just sort of leave them there. We don't know what to do with them. We say exactly what we heard this morning. We, we don't know. Maybe time. Maybe time. We'll just make it hurt less. But time's not going to resolve this and it, for some it causes a, a distance for some they, they just walk away and say well I can't I can't have a relationship with a God like that I can't serve a God who would who, who would do that well, what's the point you know God if when I need you the most you're not there then what's the point I talk to people all the time all the time and they tell me their story and it doesn't take long before I can see that there was a time in their life when they were connected to, to God in some way. But through some unresolved pain or suffering or circumstance or situation, they've, 
They pulled away. And here's what happens. That pain, that unresolved pain, now defines them. It defines who they are. It defines who they've become. It, it was in the past, but it's in control of their present and their future. And see, that's important for us to realize because, you know, if you're here this morning and you've got any kind of abuse in your background, if there's some neglect in your childhood or your past, some sense of loss, some unresolved darkness. And the question for you is, well, well, where is God? I mean, you're never going to convince me in a million years that what happened to me is worked out for good because it's not good. It's terrible. Where was he? And furthermore, God, if you're for me and not against me, then where were you when I needed you the most? And so when Mary says, you know, but even now in verse 22, I know that whatever you, you ask of God, he will do. Listen, she's saying what she thinks she's supposed to say in front of Jesus. And Jesus knows that. And look at what he says in verse 23. He says, your brother will rise again. And you see what she says? Well, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection the last day. In other words, yeah, okay. So he's in a better place, but it doesn't make me feel any better because I'm here without him. It doesn't change the reality of my today. I know that someday things will be made right, but that's not changing today. And look at what Jesus says in verse 25. He says, but I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, there's a lot I'd like to say about this, but I'm just going to say a few things. But Jesus says to Martha, he, he makes sure that she understands, listen, I'm not some good teacher who came to teach you some good things and point you to what God's going to do in the future. He, he's, not, he's making that clear. He's not saying, hey, I'm just some good teacher to point you. I am what you're looking for. I am the resurrection. I'm God standing right in front of you, and I am the solution. So that's the first thing, the solution to your disappointment. Now, we may not understand that yet, but that's what that statement means. I am right in front of you, and I'm the solution to your disappointment. He says the resurrection and the life, not the life and the resurrection. See, that's backwards because we live life, and then there's death and a resurrection. But he flips it around backwards. Now, what is, why does he do that? Shouldn't it say, I am the life and the resurrection? Why does he say, I'm the resurrection and the life? And then he says to Martha, do you believe this? 
you, Martha. Do you, he says, do you believe this? He doesn't say, Martha, what does your sister Mary think about this? Martha, what did Lazarus think about this? No. He didn't say, well, what do the newspapers say about me? What are, what's popular opinion about me? He didn't say that. He said, what are you personally, Martha? What do you say? Do you personally believe this? Do you? Believe what? This. That I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus, Jesus here, he's not asking Martha if she believes that he's about to raise her brother from the dead. That's not what he's asking. Do you believe that I'm about to do this? No. He's saying, forget that. Do you believe that me standing right here in front of you, I embody, I am the literal resurrection and the life? Today. That's the question. Verse 27, and she said to him, Well, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Okay. That's really not the question Jesus was asking. And listen, don't be misled, because whether or not she believes is irrelevant as to whether or not he is or this is true. Her belief has no bearing on what's true. Her belief only has bearing on her, just like me and you. What you determine to believe this morning has no bearing on what is the truth. Jesus is trying to tell us that he is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? He's asking you and me personally, do you believe this? And whether you accept it or reject it does not change the validity of it. But it has a tremendous bearing on us. So skip down to verse 38. And then Jesus, again groaning in himself, he comes to the tomb. It was a cave and there was a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take the stone away. Now, now listen, there's another indication here about Martha. Remember, she's got all the right theological answers, right? doesn't she? She seems to be sort of using these, you know, churchy platitudes to sound like she's, but then Jesus walks up to the tomb and says, roll the stone away and look at what the lady of great faith says. Hold up. Whoa, whoa. That's going to stink. He's been dead four days. Like if you'd have got here a couple of days ago, maybe we could have done something, but now, wait a minute. I thought that you believed that whatever Jesus asked of the Father would be done. Isn't that what she said? So he says, roll the stone away, and you got to love the King James when he stinketh. He stinketh. We should bring that word back, stinketh. Hmm. Take the stone away. Uh, the window of opportunity is closed, Lord. It's too late. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And then they took the stone away and from that place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father... 
I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. And because these people whom are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Now here's my question for us. Okay? Let's hone down on this thing. What happens to all the pain and all the sorrow in Mary and Martha's heart and life the minute Lazarus comes bumbling out of the tomb? What happens to all the grief and all the confusion, all the... It's gone. What happened to all the questions about the goodness of God? What happened to all the... What about all the accusations about his poor timing and his lack of understanding? And what about all that? Where's all that? Once he comes walking out, where is it? You could just sense all the weight lifts, right? You, you feel, well, that's gone. There's nothing but joy as to what's happened. But here's the thing. Lazarus is going to die again. You know that? And chances are, because this is just the way it works out, we usually don't live as long as the women in our life. And so these two are probably the ones who buried him a second time. And how do you think that went? Do you think the second time around, do you think they were all upset and it was so tense and such a struggle and there was so much anxiety about it? No, I don't think so. I think it was completely different. I think all that had been gone away. Mm-hmm. You see, the second time he died, Jesus didn't show up. Where was Jesus the second time? You think four days after he died the second time, they were all standing around going, he'll be here any second. No, the resurrection of their brother had so profoundly impacted the remaining life that they had. That it forever changed them from that point forward. Okay. I get that. But how does the resurrection of Lazarus affect us? Because you didn't call my loved one out of the tomb. You didn't, you didn't raise my pain up. No. No, he didn't call our pain out of the grave. He did something better for us. He went into the grave for us. Now I want you to think about this. Instead of calling our pain out of the grave, he went into the grave for us. And why did he do that? Because he loves us. Just like he loved Lazarus. And this is what he was trying to get everybody to see here. If you're familiar with this story, did you notice that we, we skipped over the part where Mary shows up? Now, look back at verse 32. Then when Mary came, because all we talked about was Martha, Mary shows up, and when she saw him, she fell down at his feet, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same thing her sister said, identical. And remember, Jesus replied, well, I'm the resurrection and the life to Martha, but he doesn't say that to Mary. He answers the same exact thing, but differently. 
He says in verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And the Bible says Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, Look at how he loved him. Why did Jesus answer these two sisters the same question but two different ways? Because we have to see both sides of this in order to walk out of here today and be able to maintain our faith in a world where suffering and death are around every corner. Why was Jesus weeping? Was he weeping because he was sad because of the unbelief of the people around him? No. No, he was weeping because he was angry at the tyranny of death and the effects that sin were having on people that he loves. He was weeping at the reality that, that his image bearers have to live in that was never his intention. He was weeping because before the foundation of the world, the, the, the plan was to put us in a place where there was no sin and death and struggle and trial and but we messed that up. And he's weeping because look at the effects of what has happened. Look at the effects on the people that I love of the pain that they've caused. Now that doesn't mean that when something bad happens to you, that's a direct result of something that you did. It means that because mankind has turned our back on God, that we live in a world that is broken. And when you live in a broken world, broken things happen. And Jesus is weeping because he's looking at people that he loves who are sad and, and, and discouraged and under the tyranny of something they never should be under. He's angry at what he's seeing. Don't you see what he's doing here? He's pointing us to the fact that what we're celebrating this morning is not the resurrection of Lazarus. No. Where Easter is the celebration of the Lord Jesus who went into the grave for us, who defeated death and abolished the tyranny of sin once and for all. What was making him weep at the, at the tomb of Lazarus, he resolved at his own tomb. He resolved that when he rose from the dead. Let, let me explain it to you. Look at these last blanks on your handout. Remember, he said he's the resurrection and the life. So let's flip it around. He's the, because he's the life, the pain of my past is being untangled by his grace in my present. The pain of my past is being untangled by his grace in my present. You see, he's not the life to come. It's the life now. And because he's the resurrection, my hope is not in some far-off future event. No. But the fact that my future is secure in him, it fills my todays with hope now. I know you're skeptical. It's okay. It's okay. Listen, the point of this story... It's not that we identify with Mary and Martha. 
You, you, you're, we're not Mary and Martha in the story. We're Lazarus. We were the ones who were born dead, dead in our sins and our trespasses, unable to resolve our problem. We were the ones who were afflicted with a sickness that there was no cure for. And Jesus, by rising up from the dead, defeated that so that we could have life. And how would we have life? Because his resurrection secured a place for us in the future that would then fill us with his grace and hope today that we might be able to live. Now you say, mm -hmm. I don't know if I get that. Well, listen, if, if you hang around here very long, you're going to get that. You know why? Because that's the story that plays out over and over and over. Next Sunday, we'll have baptism, and you'll hear story after story of people. And you'll hear that story right there played out. Listen, this, let me tell you this story in this place this year. About four and a half years ago, I got a shocking phone call, which is sort of par for the course if you're a pastor. But my phone rang, and the voice on the other end of the phone said that this young, single mom, been attending our church for several years, she's raising her young son by herself, She's young and vibrant at the beginning of her life. And I'd gotten to know her over that time. She would come in and, and talk to me. And I was helping her through all the things regarding her past. And she would talk to me about her family. And she would talk to me about how her mom and her stepdad would, would help her and, 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 and care for her. And but how her ex-husband was abusive. And she would always ask me, she'd say, Pastor, please pray for me because I, I don't know how to, I, I worry all the time that he's going to harm my little boy. And the voice on the other end of the phone that morning told me that, she went to bed that night and never woke up. She wasn't sick. There was no evidence of, of, of anything. She just went to bed and didn't wake up. And suddenly that little boy, the only person he had, was ripped out of his life. And so in the process of caring for her family and, and doing her funeral, I grew close to her family, who I didn't know. I just heard about her mom and Stepdad, but I'd never met them. And so I meet them. And when I met them, I found out that they knew a lot about me. And I said, well, that's strange because I used to hear a lot about you. And they said, well, our daughter would, was always talking about you and how much you'd helped her and how much the church meant to her and, and just how her whole life had, had, had turned around and things were going so good. And I mean, it was horrible. No warning, just gone, just like that. So there I am, I'm doing her funeral, and I keep looking down at this little boy, and I keep thinking, what in the world is going to happen? And he's just clinging to his grandmother. And so the funeral's over, and it wasn't long after that that 
the mom calls me up and says, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what? And he said, well, we have to go to court, you know, because of my grandson. We, we have to go to court to figure out what's going to happen. And so I said, well, I'm, I'm coming. So I go to court. It's in a different county. I've never been there. Never didn't, you know, it was all new to me. I, I go to court and we're sitting there waiting to go in. And, and I'm just thinking, well, undoubtedly, I mean, this kid's never had anything to do with this. Dad's never had anything to do with him. And I'm thinking of all these things the mom had told me. And, I, and we don't even go into court. And suddenly a couple of lawyers walk out and say, well, that's it. And uh, the judge signed the paper and dad's got custody. And I just remember sitting there and the grandmother's just sobbing on my shoulder. And I'm just thinking, what just happened? I said, this just can't be right. God, how, how could you let this happen? And so the grandmother says, well, there's nothing we can do. Well, yeah, there's something you can do. I mean, we got to fix this. We can't let this be. And so that begins a, a four-year, for four years, there's no telling how many tens of thousands of dollars these two people spent. In lawyers' fees, I mean, we went to court after court after court. I testified, you know, all these things that the little boy's mom had told me, and all the and all these court records were verifying every. I mean, it was just. Meanwhile, this little kid is just wilting away in, in before us. And one year passes, and two years passes, and every time something would look like maybe it was going to change or maybe it was going to be fixed, then there'd be another delay. There'd be another. And time after time, I just kept saying, no, no, this can't be. Something's got to change. Like, this, this just can't be. This just isn't right. And after four years, my phone rings, and it's the same voice that told me that her daughter was gone. The same voice said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this. But the judge, the judge sent our grandson home to us today, four years later. And I said, wow. And I remember tears just running down my face. And I'm thinking, man, it's been a long road. And, of course, across those four years, the grandmother, who I'd never even met before this happened, through this tragedy, now becomes a fixture in this church. Many of you have grown to know and love her. And you, you've just seen that through all this trial and all this, but she just, it's just keeps, keeps moving one foot, over, one foot in front of the other, just one foot in front of the other. And she keeps telling me, you know what? My grandson, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna be in Awana He's going he's gonna to be in the youth group here. He's going to grow up the way his mom wanted him to grow up. That's going to happen. We're going to get there. And it just kept seeming like it was further and further and further away. And then she calls me and says, you know what happened today? Today, the judge sent him home. And I thought, praise God. And you know what we didn't say? We didn't say, well, why didn't that happen four years ago? And here's what she said. 
She said, guess what today is, Pastor? I said, what? She said, today is my daughter's birthday today. Today. You see, that's the grace of God in our present suffering. That's God's way of saying, I am with you when it seems like I'm a thousand miles away. That for four years, when it seemed like it was never going to happen, listen, that's God's way of saying, yeah, I'm there. I'm with you. And on your daughter's birthday, there's only one in 365 day chance that could happen. On that very day is the day that out of nowhere the judgment comes. He's coming home. And so listen, what I'm trying to tell you is I understand that sometimes it lingers on for years and sometimes the person you pray for and hope for doesn't make it and God doesn't raise them up. He doesn't heal them. He doesn't fix them. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is completely different than the resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus defeated in his resurrection all of our enemies so that the grace of his presence could be felt in today because our future is secure in him. The point is we can carry on because we know that things are going to be made the way they were supposed to be. That that day is coming. That he is going to come again. And he is going to raise us up. And he is going to get all of us. And he is going to take us home. And he's going to wipe every tear from our eye. And all that's going to go away and everything is going to be resolved. But listen, when you say, well, why doesn't he come today? Well, listen, because if he comes today, it's easy for me to say, Lord, come today, because I know you. But if he comes today, the door slams shut. Don't you see? His heart still breaks for people suffering. Because things are the way they're not meant to be. It won't always be that way. But we can face it because we know that because of the resurrection. We can have hope. Today. That's why he's the resurrection and the life, because the resurrection allows us to live the life. Let's stand and bow our heads.